You are now listening to The Model Mindset. Welcome back, everybody, to The Model Mindset. Today's guest is Howie Coro, and I was fortunate enough to be introduced to Howie uh, from a previous guest, Tim Brewer. Uh, Tim Brewer actually is a creative genius yes. and did our tattoos. And Tim knew that we have a lot of similarities and commonalities uh, between being good human beings, uh, but also having a growth mindset and just want to help others. So uh, I was fortunate enough to meet Howie, and he's got a really unique life story, and good and bad, trying, of course. And so we're going to talk about that today. So Howie, welcome to the Mindset. Yeah, mindset. thanks guys. Thanks for uh, you know inviting me on your show. It's, uh, it's a pleasure. Um, you know, mindset is one of my favorite topics, so I'm excited to dig in. Um, and yeah, Tim Brewer is a longtime friend, tattoo artist of many people yeah, that we yeah. all know yeah, that in this like area. Lone wolf here. Yeah. Tattoo by Tim no, yeah. oh man, yeah, we gotta sure. fix that for real. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Tim's been a tattoo artist for me almost 20 years now, and wow, uh, really? done numerous friends. Wow. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you know, it's I remember probably about maybe a year, maybe a year ago, getting tattooed, and we're just talking. You know, Tim is like the therapist. He totally is. And and I think. We talked about that on our episode with him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he, he totally is. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it's I always look forward to going to him and getting tattoos. Tattoos always been therapeutic to me. And uh, we always have the best conversations, Tim and I. And, yeah, you know, we were deep in a conversation. And then you came up. And um, he says, oh, yeah, you, got, you guys are from Summers. I think he's from Summers. I'm like, really? I don't know this guy. So, uh, you know, I was anxious to connect with, you know, like-minded individual, individuals. Because uh, that's always a challenge here. Um, growing up here and traveling the world and coming back here is finding like-minded people. Absolutely. You know, have that have that growth mindset. So yeah. when he said there's someone that is kind of like the same thought process, I was super excited to reach out to you, and yeah. I'm glad we did connect. And yeah, now we're here. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah, man. Well, appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And yeah. Thank you, Tim. So why don't we start senior year? You went to Fermi, grew up in Enfield. You are contemplating what to do next, whether go to college or enlist in the army, which is what you decided to do. Yeah. Can you kind of just break down what went into that and kind of start, start us right there with that journey or your, your journey, I guess, where it all began? Yeah, no, sure. Um, senior in high school, uh, you know, I graduated in 2001 and, uh, you know, I was always a jock in school. I played football, football was my major sport. Um, and, uh, it was my senior year, football season. It was great. You know, junior year had a great season. One of the best records we had at Fermi. Broke some school records. All kinds of good stuff. And, you know, I had a lot of buddies, high school friends that I was in the work, you know, in, in the weight room, training with them year-round, all that. And they were a lot bigger. And so we kind of came to the final of the season. And it was like, what are you going to do? Do you want to go play ball in college? Or are you going to, you know, carry on and, you know, go to college and uh you know work on your education and i was never really big on school to be honest i was always like a c-plus student yeah. you know just didn't really that care way. just wanted to play yeah. sports yeah. um <laughs> and uh you know I, I was dating a girl in high school who kind of changed my mindset to actually start applying myself because oh, nice. i would say hold on with the mic um middle of high school, I started working very early. As soon as I could work and get a job, I started yeah. working. And, and where actually... That, where did that mindset come from? Like, where you, that you just wanted to work? Honestly, I started working, man, probably 10, 12 years old. Okay. And um, my first job was a newspaper route. Mm -hmm. 
Mm, and I started yeah, making money. Yeah, yeah. And um, it wasn't enough, so I had a second newspaper route. Okay. And you know, originally, I would say in those in the '90s, you know, my, my mom and dad here. Um, my dad was in the aerospace industry. He worked for Hamilton right out of high school. Um, he got laid off. That's when the aircraft industry kind of downsized. He got laid off out of the industry, and it was kind of like crushing to the family. You know, mm-hmm. my dad, who was kind of the breadwinner, breadwinner of the family, yeah. you know, uh, income kind of stopped. It stopped rapidly, unexpectedly, and it really put a damper on our on our family. And then he quickly got another job in a another civilian-based aerospace job. Quickly, that went down the hill as everything kind of transitioned out of Connecticut during that time frame. And so there was probably a 10-year span where my dad got laid off like two or three times. Uh, yeah, and my mom, she was a, um, you know, kind of like a stay-at-home mom. We had three kids. I'm a middle kid, a younger brother and a sister who's older. And so my mom was kind of a stay-at-home mom, trying to keep us kids coming and going from school, everything else. And then she worked at night in a department store, you know, a couple part-time jobs. And so when she, my dad lost a job, she was working. My dad was literally became a handyman overnight, whatever it took to uh, put food on the table. But I would say probably during that 10 year span, you know, uh, sitting back and and seeing my my family kind of like financially suffer and just survive. I never really wanted to put a burden on them Mm -hmm. and and ask for money or even even ask for a new bike, you know, or school clothes. I became Mm -hmm. very, very independent at that age because I saw what my parents, how hard they were working to uh, support our family, that it was just like a switch kind of flip. And like, you know what, I got a- huge to pick up on that, like at yeah. such a young age too, you know? Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I got the newspaper route, started doing that. Next thing is I started landscaping with my buddy's uh, uh, dad, became really close to his dad, and we literally just worked around the clock. And very young age, started making money. And um, the point of this is, in the middle of high school, I realized, man, these labor-intensive jobs suck. <laughs> you know, this is hard. Yeah. And I'm like, if I don't get my act together and start doing good in school, I'm going to be working, you know, very labor-intensive jobs the rest of my life, making yeah. minimum wage. Yeah. And I'm like, I got to start doing something here. I got to yeah. find a way out. I don't want to be like my father in the sense where, you know, people co- control you, corporations can yeah. fire you, and you can lose your jobs. And you're dependent on other people. Right. I, I couldn't stand that. So yeah, middle of high school, I'm like, I gotta start applying myself. And um, that's when I did. And my senior year, I was like, I gotta make a decision. Either go play ball or go to college and figure a way how to get to college because my parents didn't have money. And um, you know, I, I just knew I, I didn't have the size to play, play at the level I wanted to play. Right, right. And so this was the fall of 2000. I said, you know what? I joined the military. That's my only way out. Yeah. The only way out of here is join the military. And this was like pre-war. Yeah. And I admit, I, I, jo- I joined for the school benefits. Yeah. That's smart, right. man. That's you know? Smart. I mean, Tom Clark, we interviewed him. He yeah. had the same kind of like mapped out process. Like go in the, go in the military, uh, get school paid for. Yep. You know, he had the same process. Well, that's admirable, man. I mean, thinking about that, I still have student loans. Uh, maybe I should go on that route. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I still preach it to a lot of young troops coming through the ranks these days. Like, if you can get in, get in when you can. It's been a great opportunity. Um, You know, and and the thing is, I I always, growing up, worked with my hands. My dad being laid off and having a handyman business, my uncles who were carpenters and construction businesses, every summer I would work, you know, construction jobs. So I learned a, a lot about the trades. My dad was like the MacGyver 
who could fix anything. So I was always that kid handing tools and watching what he was doing. I learned a lot from him. Um, so I enjoyed working with my hands. And my intention was coming out of high school, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to join the military. I'm going to join the engineers. I'm going to go to school for construction management. And I even went down to, um, I have family in Arizona. I went to ASU. They have the best construction management program in the country. I walked the campus. I was going to do all that. So I said, I'm going to join the military. They're going to pay my way to college. I'm going to move out to Arizona. Like I had it all planned out. That's smart, though. Yeah. Young age. yeah. That was a plan. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so that was it. I, I was driven. I had a fire early on to um, try to find my own path. And that entrepreneur spirit was in me to be like, I'm not going to let anyone control me yeah. and control my destiny. And uh, I don't want to, um, you know, be in a situation like my parents were, unfortunately, where you know, you suffer financially. Yeah. You can't, yeah. you know, take advantage of opportunities in right. life, you know, yeah. so. So it's interesting because it sounds like you had, like, maybe unknowingly the mindset you have now then. Like, it was developing, right? Correct. So, like, so it was, like, the little seed that was in you at that point that would now blossom to where you are today. But, like, it's just interesting to reflect on that because yeah. at the yeah. time you probably wouldn't be able to recognize that. That uh, that was, yeah. like, your mindset. A hundred percent, yeah. Like, looking back now, that's when the entrepreneur bug was planted. Yeah. It really right. was, you right. know, and I look at my newspaper days, I'm like, you know, I was hungry. The new one newspaper route wasn't enough. I had yeah. to get a second one because I, I finally got a sense of, wow, I have money, you know, and yeah. right. I can yeah. buy my own clothes and buy my new BMX bike. And, right. you know, yeah. that's what I did. Yeah. Yep. You want that kind of like financial freedom. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, um, my senior year, right after football season in 2000, I enlisted in the Army. Awesome. And, uh, you know, literally two weeks after high school graduation, July 12th, I literally left for Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, and uh, off I went. So it's funny because you said pre-war. Yes. Not how it turned out, though. Correct. So, Correct. so kind of, Trey, you know, give us that travels, those travels you had to, like, you were in, you were in camp, right? Yeah. And then, and then, you know, the world kind of went sideways. Yeah, and, and your and your plans changed. It, it was almost unwillingly. Totally. So it it, you know, it was like it was literally like the light switch was flipped. Yeah. And uh, I'll, rem I'll always remember, obviously, you know, when you're in the army and you're in the boot camp, they they play a lot of games with you. You don't see the news, you don't see the media, you don't know what's going on. You're kind of cut off. And then they play a lot of games where I think they they kind of like scare you. Do a lot of scare tactics. Mm -hmm. And um. You know, a week or two prior, they did this thing uh, where they were, you know, and I remember leaving before boot camp, we were in kind of some scuffle with China, you know, and then during boot camp, they said, all right, we're going to war with China. There, you know, there's some kind of conflict going on. We're going to war with China. And they pulled us out of class one day, some training exercise, made us go back to our barracks. And they said, you guys have five minutes to grab everything you need. We're all deploying. Go grab what you can get. So, and they were yelling at us, screaming at us. We went to our rooms. Heart racing? Oh, out of my chest. Yeah. I remember I took my duffel bag, threw everything in there, socks, underwear, uniforms. I literally just took, you know, my, my journals, my pictures of my family, stuffed it in there. I mean, these guys were yelling at us, screaming. People's clothes were down the hallway. Get in formation. Get outside. Get outside. Get outside. And so that we all went out there in formation. We're like, oh, shit. Now your chest is like, oh, we're going to war. We're going to war. And, um. The drill sergeant stopped, and the company commander came out and says, all right, I need to know who can't kill someone here. You know, at that point, you're like, what? Who cannot kill another man here? And three or four people raised their hands. 
three or four guys raised their hands. Yeah. He called them up in front of the formation. It was like, you are a disgrace. Started calling them out. What, what is your excuse? And he's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the last guy in my family. If I die, there's going to be no more, you know, family name in my family. Yeah. And they're like, do you realize you just let all your battle buddies down? And so they made a big scene out of it. And I mean, we were all like trembling, like, holy shit. And they threw those guys under the bus on purpose, you know, and it was a game changer during that phase of boot camp. And I was remember sitting there and seeing grown men cry because there's people older than me at that time. And grown men just crying, scared for their life, like, oh my God, I'm going to go kill, I have to go kill someone. I'm going to go to war right now. Right, yeah. I don't even think we learned to shoot the M16 yet, you right, know? Exactly, yeah. um, and then, whatever, hour or two passed, they said, it's all made up. We're really not going to war. This is a test to see if you guys are ready, mentally prepared. Wow. And everyone's like, holy shit. So the guys that got called out, right. forced, they, they, they felt yeah, right. stupid. Yeah. But, um, and everybody looked different. Yeah. You know, everyone you know, treated those people different, uh, you know, um, respectfully, because they, they just go to show that you can't trust everybody, your yeah, battle sure. buddies, all that. Right. So fast forward that, two weeks after that whole exercise, you know what the funny thing is? After I looked at my duffel bag, Went back to my lockers unpacking. I packed everything but my underwear and socks. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell? I packed everything but my own underwear and socks. How did I miss that drawer, you know? Um, so, yeah. So then two weeks later, boom, 9-11 hits. And we're in boot camp. I remember, like, we're so sleep deprived. Like, you know, we're like four hours of sleep. And we're actually, like, learning about, like, I don't know, like, AT4 rocket launchers or something. And then they start playing that game again, like, we're under attack. We're going to war. And I were like, okay, we yeah, played this game before. Thing, right? Yeah, like, okay. Yeah. So then they're like, no, this is real. This is real. Everyone mount up. We're going. We're going through like this classroom. There's TVs. And I turned TVs on. And sure shit, it was the, the, the you know, the World Trade Center under attack. And the planes happened. We're like, oh my God, this is real life. Yeah. And instantly all the drill sergeants just went, like, they went crazy. Yeah. A, lot of, a couple of them were from New York City area. Some of them were like airborne rangers. Some of them already served in war. And now they were hungry. So they were like, fuck this. Yeah. This is real. Yeah. And they pretty much said, guys, we are all going to war. This is not a fucking joke. You better fucking pay attention. If I find you guys falling asleep, whatever. I mean, they were throw shit at us, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Guys, you be dozing off. They'd be throwing shit. Wake the fuck up. Let's go. Yeah. Everything was real at that point. Right. And I, I can remember sitting there being like, I'm not going home. Yeah. I'm not going home. Was that like a gut punch? Because you're like, all right, my, my map is to go to college. Yeah. Use this to go to college. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to war. Yeah. yeah. It, it totally That's was a gut man. punch. And I'm like, oh, my God. What the hell did I sign up for? Because, yeah. like, you know, 10 years prior, when Bill Clinton was president, there was no war. So I'm like, right, it's peacetime. Yeah. I'm cool. I'll, right, I'll, right. I'll get through this. And that was a huge reality check. And it's different because the guys who joined after 9-11 – they had a mindset of like, I'm doing this for, yeah, to go, exactly. to, go exactly. to war. Right. Yeah. You know, for, for that, it was like, oh shit, it's a reality check. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that was um, a huge turning point. That was a, a huge point of like, time to man up. Yeah. And I yeah. didn't know if I was coming home because the reality is, is, a lot of times you can get spun up and spit right back out to wherever you are. Yeah. You have government property, they own you, you right, know? Yeah. But at that point in time, you know, the base locked down, F-16s were flying over us. You know, we ended up uh, intensifying boot camp. My parents came, but, like, we weren't allowed to leave base for graduation. Um, all that changed. 
All because of 9-11? Because of 9-11, yeah. yeah. So it, it definitely intensified yeah, and yeah. became very realistic at that point. So, Yeah, talk about like in a crucial part of your life, right? You're kind of in that self-discovery mode. You think you have a plan. Yep. And then everything just went to shit. Yep. And it's like you had to grow up at like a 10 times the speed you thought you were going to have to. Yep. And then that landed you over in Italy eventually, correct? So from there, I came back to Connecticut. My unit was in Connecticut. And uh, war was, you know, starting off. Yeah. You know? Um, and so in my unit, we started doing a lot of crazy things. This is like uh, 2001 when I got back. My unit started doing a lot of like, you know, when you're in the army, you're all infantry. Like yeah. you're infantry, then you're, you're your job. So we started doing a lot of infantry training, like movement stuff, tactical stuff. They started doing our wills and getting our shot records, a lot of pre-planning. It was like kind of, yeah, yeah, it was kind of yeah. weird. Like, oh, it's like getting you prepared to deploy. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, at that point in time, I came back and I was like, well, I'm going to keep driving on with my mission of going to school and going to college. Um, and so I was, you know, I was in the National Guard just to confirm that. Yeah. So I'm like, I joined, started going to community college, started getting some general credits, and I had a change of heart. I said, you know what, I'm not going to go out to this, to to um, Arizona. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I just got sick of the call, you know, the college life. Like I fell right back into my high school days of like, it's mundane, this is boring. Like I don't want to do algebra and crap right. like that. Yeah. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to go and work on cars, which obviously you see here. A passion of mine is working on cars and working on hot rods, motorsports, all of that. So out west in Wyoming, there was a school called Wyoming Tech at the time. It was like the Harvard of Automotive Schools. And I had all this confidence from being out of the military. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do what I want, follow my dreams. One of my high school buddies, one of my best friends, him and I applied. We got accepted. I said, I'm going to move out to Wyoming. And I literally transferred units. They actually let me transfer. I found a unit. It was all meant to be. So I landed in Wyoming, I changed units. Literally, I drove out there with everything I owned. Like, I'm moving out west. And when I got out there, literally two weeks later, the unit got deployed. No shit. <laughs> <laughs> they got on a stop loss. Yeah. And um, they deployed real quick. You Afghanistan? Uh, they were in Iraq. They were in Fallujah okay. for some time being. And I, I tried to call my buddies back once I got wind of this and call my buddies. They were already gone. They were already gone, That's and wild. I lost contact with them for over a year because they were. This is like 2001, 2002, and they were technically deployed for almost 18 months at that time. Yep, wow. And um, I did talk to one of my close buddies after the fact when he came back, and they had some insane stories of being yeah. in Fallujah and being. We were engineers, like you kind of at night is when they do their attacking and bombing, and then when there's daylight, they kind of advance so they clear the roads and paths to at night so infantry can, you know, move forward. Mm. But they slept in, you know, bunkers, didn't shower for weeks, got ambushed, got attacked, all kinds of crazy stories yeah. from there. So, like, ideally, the reason I'm telling you this is like, holy shit, I just got saved by the grace of God. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, like, that wasn't my intention, but, like, boom, it, it right. happened. Right. And um, that was hard. That was a mindfuck, too, because oh, yeah. then, like, I felt like, I let my guys down. Like right. I train with my guys, and now I can't go with them. I'm like, am I doing the right thing? You know, there's a lot of guilt there. Yeah. But um, I ended up going to Wyoming, moving out there, going to college. I changed units. Um, trained in the mountains out in Wyoming, up there for a while in the Rocky Mountains. That was a different kind of training, but it was really cool. Um, and uh, yeah. 
time I graduated and left there, the unit was doing the same thing, getting mm-hmm. all spun up, and I recognized it. I'm like, this is not good, guys. Yeah. yeah. They're updating our wills. They're yeah. doing our shots They're again. Yeah. Shit is about to go down. And um, I, I moved. I hear crazy stories. I went out to Vegas for a while because I was never going to come back to New England, right? Yeah. Move out west. And then that unit did get deployed. And they said, I'm on a stop loss. You got a call from my sergeant. Hey, you have to come back here. What do you mean? We're on a stop loss. We're deploying. I'm like, dude, I just graduated college. I am not coming back to Wyoming because there's nothing to do. Out yeah, there. yeah, right. <laughs> you know, You're I, in I, Vegas, right? yeah, yeah. Going yeah. Back I literally moved everything I got. I'm not coming. Yeah. You guys have to come and get me. And they didn't like that. And so they said, listen, you have two weeks to find a unit, or you're going to be AWOL. Yeah. Now, for when you're when you're considered AWOL, you, like you you get arrested, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's under the UCMJ. It's a federal offense. You can yeah. depend on what you do. You can get you 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 can be screwed for life. Yeah. Wow. In many ways. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know. And so I moved out to Vegas temporarily, and uh, anything that can go bad in Vegas, nope, it happened. <laughs> Uh, literally lost everything I owned to the point where the one vehicle I had is I had to sell it um, to literally get enough money to get a U-Haul truck and come back. And so, and, and so what were you doing in Vegas? Like, were you trying to do something? Like yeah, I was. I was cars? doing stuff in, in cars and motorsports because yeah. the warm weather down there, you know, it's year round. There's a lot, a lot more opportunity down there. Yeah. But everywhere I went, everyone's like, "Oh, you can sweep my floors, or you can wet sand my car all day." I'm like, "Dude, I got like, you know, this." Great education, all this experience. I want to start like cutting and welding and right, doing yeah. some cool stuff, yeah. not sweet floors. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So it didn't turn out to be what I wanted. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna do this on my own. Everyone just wants you to be like the bitch. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm just gonna learn the hard way. I'm gonna build my own name, my own business, my own. I have to come. I, I got. I literally had to make a decision. I had to get out of my lease, all this stuff, drove across country, and um, I had to find a unit. And I had two weeks. So I'm like, man, I wanted to go firefighting in the Army, and there was no slots. Very hard to become a firefighter in the Army. So I ended up um, finding the Air Force, and the Air Force had more slots up here at the base. So I talked to a recruiter. He goes, yeah, we can post-date your paperwork. We'll do all this for you. I'm like, great, I'm oh, coming. Wow. And I packed up, drove back here to Connecticut, and I said, I'm going to finally become a firefighter through the military, and I'm going to transfer to the Air Force. So after four years in the army, I transferred to the Air Force, and that's what landed me in Italy. That's what got you. Okay. Yep. I got you. Yep. Okay. Yep. So now you're you're starting to talk about how you became a firefighter, right? Yes. Now when we were talking before, you said firefighters kind of came in your family, right? Like did you say your father, and then yeah. So did that was that kind of in the back of your mind that hey, it, it interested you, but also hey, I could also become a firefighter was there any kind of desire to go that route as well so being born and raised around firefighting it really gets in your blood um i remember as far as a little kid i literally had scanners like police scanners in every room of our house including my dad's vehicle in the garage the living room i grew up listening to a scanner 911 the cops the police the ambulance it became a second language yeah but I never volunteered, never got involved through my high school days. I was just so busy with sports and school. My dad never pushed it on me. Yeah. He, you know, he's like, no, 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 never, never even pushed it a little. But in the back of my mind, because I, you know, went to calls or I used to ride my bike to calls or go to calls with him, hang out at the firehouse, 
I knew at some point in my life I was going to get involved. It's just a matter of when and how. Right. Um, I did know in the military, when you go firefighting, they have one of the best firefighting academies in the world. People come from all over the world to go through the military academy. Um, and the cool thing about firefighting in the military, it's a joint training facility. So you get the Marines, all, all five branches are in there. You train together. So it's really cool. I'm like, man, if I can go to that academy, get my certifications and get paid to do it, it'll be a win-win. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so that's what I did. And um, that's smart. Yeah. So I moved down to Texas, went to fire school, and um, that was a great experience. You know, I got all these certifications and training, and I came back, and, um, you know, I still wasn't really thinking about a career. Yeah. I came back. I was working in a, in a GM dealership here locally as a service manager doing that. I started my business working on cars at night. That's where the entrepreneur bug came back in. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah. all right, I got to hustle. I got to build my business, you know. And I will say and add to this because in the Army is when I started to actually read books and actually take initiative with my education and, and try to better myself. There was many, you know, thinking of what am I going to do with my life got me in the Army. And then when I was in the Army, yeah. sitting in my bunk at night or on a Saturday, Sunday, you know, by myself, I literally started reading books. Yeah. you know, in reading. And I fell in love with reading because it was, you know, self-educating myself of, you know, different opportunities and paths that I can, I can take and, and build myself to. And right. so that between my entrepreneur blog young and then started reading, reading and learning, um, there was a fire being built inside. And I was just trying to figure out how to do it. Um, when I came back with school and my degree and building a passion with working with cars, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to start my automotive business. Yeah. That's exactly what I did, 2006. Um, and so you were doing your automotive business, your firefighting. And then I worked at Camera Truck Parts. Damn. That was, that was my job. Meanwhile, hustling, oh, I, I, I always worked two or three jobs at least wow. at all times. Is that because you feel guilty like sitting still? Uh, no, just because I, I am driven to succeed. Yeah. Driven to to better myself. Driven to uh, improve. You know. Yeah. Very. You know, just from all these different, you know, things. Just I don't know. And, and now that I'm you know 41 years old now, but I reflect, I still have that fire. To be yeah. honest, like yeah. it's um, you know, through a lot of self awareness and reflection, you try to figure out where that fire comes. And I will say it is as strong, if not stronger, mm. but I, I, I have a, definitely a new perspective of uh, where it came from and, and, and what it's all about. Mm. And, um, you know, it gives, it gives me more clarity and direction, you know, moving forward now, even. Yeah. 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 So with firefighting, you're going to experience some tough things there, right? Absolutely. Can you recall your first call and kind of what that entailed and, and maybe yeah. the, the market may have left on you? Yeah. So 2007 is when I finally got hired full-time up at the airport mm -hmm. uh, for the state. I was working at Camaradas and I was literally, I wanted to be a big city firefighter. So I was testing for Hartford. I was testing, testing for New Haven. Because at that point I said, you know what, if I'm going to be an entrepreneur, I got to figure out how I'm going to build my business and still have a career and make money and survive. Yeah. 
Well, then the light bulb went off. Like, shit, firefighters have one of the best schedules in the world. They work a couple of days a week. Yeah. How ironic. Smart, man. You, guys yeah. said, you know what? That changed my direction. I said, I am going to be a career firefighter because, A, I love it and have all this, you know, experience and passion behind it. And now certifications in the military, but it's going to allow me the opportunity to be an entrepreneur and build my business at the same time. Right. So I got a call in 2007. Hey, you want a job at the airport? Um, and I took it. So I work for the state and uh, the military department for the state of Connecticut. Still to this day, I got three and a half years left. And um, that's kind of been my career. I, I actually lived in Hartford, tried to test for Hartford, got passed up in Hartford. Um, New Britain, all these big cities, I kept getting passing up. It was kind of like, what the heck? And, um, you know, I do believe everything in life happens for a reason. Every single that. little thing, you know. That. And there's been so many trials and tribulations in life where um, I question them. Like, I don't get it. Because you, you could try so hard in some, something in some direction and nothing, nothing pans out. But um, now I see why. Yeah. I really do. Um, so, yeah, I've been with the state military department at the airport for man, 16 and a half years now. And yes, it's been a variety of calls, pretty much anything you can think of. Yeah, yeah. You know, we have, uh, we're a specialty fire department. We, you know, we focused on aircraft rescue and crash stuff. Um, we do uh, industrial stuff. We do hazmat, we're hazmat techs, we're EMTs, we do yeah. structural MVAs, all that. So meanwhile, I was doing that for a while and I was in the military as a firefighter. So I had two firefighting okay. jobs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, the military, um, yeah, brought me all over, the, actually all over the country, all over the world. Um, 2007, the war, the war was still kicking off. Now I'm in the Air Force. It's a little different perspective as far as deployment goes. Um, but I got a quick call saying, hey, there's a deployment coming up. There's another unit that needs, they're shorthanded. They need a couple guys to fill in. You want to go? The unit's getting pushed to Iraq. They need a unit to backfill. And literally, I was pissed off because I just got passed up in Hartford. I just got out of a relationship, and I was like, you know what? Screw this. Sign me up. I'll go. They're like, all right, cool. You're going to Italy. I'm like, going to Italy? Sweet. And so it was my orders were Operation Iraqi Freedom, going to defend, you know, fighting the war um, in support because the unit was getting pushed to Iraq. And so I'm like, let's go. So there was actually three of us in my unit. We went out there and we worked in the fire department in Italy. Um, very active duty base, F-16s, uh, you know, all kinds of cool shit going yeah, on there. Yeah. Um, but that was, um, yeah, a game changer. Um, you know, was, you know, a lot of these military bases are like towns. Mm-hmm. There's probably 20, 30,000 people there, you know. Um, and we show, we share it with, uh, Italy, obviously the Italians and all kinds of other different, um, countries. Mm-hmm. Um, so very active, uh, you know, I was on the rescue there, which is kind of like the first do piece because I had my EMT. So we got literally the first two truck out to all these things, all kinds of cool things. We, we would respond off base to motor, motor vehicle accidents, to, you know, dorm room fires, to suicide people, military, right. all this stuff. So that was like your Italy was more like your first ex, like full blown experience of like firefighting and what the kind of calls you would from a military experience. perspective because yeah. actually well yeah very close because I got hired in two thousand seven at the state and then yeah less than a year I got deployed out mm-hmm. um, so yeah that was my first taste of real world here you go right you know and uh, 
was it jarring like at first or because I mean you know we're not firefighters you know we're not police officers you right. know um, but you experience a lot of trauma yep you know yep. and I think that's often overlooked by the public yeah. I would say right um, how that how you can carry that right exactly yeah. exactly and in our preparation you know and just talking to you before you gave a unique perspective about how death has kind of, um, I don't want to say changed you, but it's, it's affected you because you're around it so much. Death is the greatest teacher of life. Can you kind of go into yeah, like, elaborate well, yeah, that a little yeah. bit? Yeah. Um, sure. So I will say over there, yeah, I got tested multiple ways, um, dealing with all kinds of situations. But the one that was kind of uh, really shook me, my first real world, was we had a, we had a Black Hawk helicopter go down and we lost six guys and um you know when you work on a in a fire department the fire department is typically on the ramp or on the edge of the runway because obviously if something happens go. it's a quick response yeah so you sit there and uh you know we were at the on the back side of the firehouse that day it was just after lunch guys were having their cigarettes in the smoke pit we're just getting fresh air and we have you know aircraft coming and going left and right you see a black hawk go off over the wire cool and then we're hanging out, and not even two or three minutes later, our alarm started going off. You know, ding, 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 everything's going off. And right over the radio, yeah, we, said, we got a Black Hawk down, Black Hawk down. And we're like, we just saw it go off, you know. That was like another gut check, yeah, yeah. you know, because as a firefighter, you train for everything in your life. Like, you train for the worst, worst, worst. All you do is train. You want muscle memory. But then when, the, when that stuff really comes in, it uh, it scared the shit out of you. Oh, yeah. It really yeah, yeah. does. The first yeah. time you're in a house fire and the house is on fire, you got fire ripping over you and you can't see, you're just like, what the hell? You know, all these yeah. kind of things. So, yeah, we had have, we have Black Hawk go down and, uh, you know, being in a foreign land, it was challenging, obviously. Um, 2007, 2008, you, you just can't, like, run out the gate and go. Yeah. There, there were still a lot of um, anti-American protests out there. There's pockets that we were briefed not to go near because of that. Yeah. And so we were trying to figure out what to go. We jumped in our fire trucks. We're like literally setting up a convoy. The military has a process where they get, you know, the security forces involved. They get all these different sections and maintenance so and recovery. No. And that, and that was weird. No. Yeah. You think it's like, go. Yeah. But it's different because you think about it, it's outside the wire. Right. You're in a foreign land. There's so many variables. Yeah. And so we had to sit there and listen to the dispatch. So our chief was like, stand down, stand down. And we're, we're literally in the fire trucks, our gear, sitting there to drive like, like all right, you, someone's going to lead us. Where are we going? And I remember just sitting there like trembling. Yeah. My, 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 I couldn't even press the gas. And I was like, oh, shit, this is real. Like, you know, and we're just hearing like, oh, yeah, we got multiple dead. We got people trapped. Like screaming. You're like, oh, fuck, we got to get there. Let's go. What are we waiting right, for? Yeah. And, um, you know, it was challenging because we were like, we have to wait, we have to wait, we have to get clearance. So then we get out of our fire trucks and we, we turn on the news, we're trying to get clips. And of course, the local news, they have they have like helicopters flying over of literally the active crash. Yeah. And then you see, like literally they're zooming in because like I said, there are a lot of anti-American people there at that time. You can see bodies, people trapped, yeah. chaos. And you're like, oh my God. So now you have like this... Uh, you're just anxious, waiting yeah, to go, you yeah. know. Because um, I'm sure you want to help. Yeah. Is there like a guilt factor there too? There was, you know, at, at that time. Um, so, 
we work with Italians. There was a lot of Italian guys in the firehouse. The, the chief ended up taking, I don't know, a good crew or two of Italians ago because we're in the foreign soil to um, speak Italian mm. and how to talk and all that. So they ended up going. We ended up, myself including, doing getting a lot of gear ready. I mean, we had to get body bags. We had to get our case, you know, our K-12 saws. We had to get airbags. All this recovery equipment loaded up, and we have all these different, you know, rescue trailers. So we got to gear up a lot of equipment. We had to load it, and we had another guy drive us out there back and forth. Um, and, yeah, we literally listened to this thing unfold on the radios and on that and all that. So it was heartbreaking, you know, to see this and know that we saw these guys go over. One of my buddies who I was with, he was supposed to be on that plane because it was actually an incentive flight for guys getting promoted and stuff. Yeah. And my buddy who was getting promoted um, was supposed to be on there. And his paperwork was actually sitting on the chief's desk, but the, the chief was out for two days, so he never signed the paperwork. Did that mess with him a little bit? Uh, yeah, he was just kind of like, you know, kind of in shock. Yeah, of right. Like, holy shit. Yeah. Um, but the moral of that story was, I guess, you know, where I was in base housing, you know, being like one of the last minute guys to fill in there, I, I was in base building. And then like three days later, you, you see how um, Big Air Force sends in teams for the crash rescue. Then the families actually came in. I remember sitting in the lobby like this doing computer work one night and the families of the deceased actually walked in the lobby. And then like they had like personal services, greet them and meet them. And they're just literally a wreck, yeah. you know, and I'm sitting here, I'm like, dude, not only did I witness like your kid, son, whoever it was, yeah. pass away, but I listened to it. I saw these graphic pictures, yeah. and then obviously the the firefighters that came back, you know, uh, we table talked it, table talked it, and all that, debriefed it all. And so yeah, we went to the ceremonies. They got the bodies back days later. We did the whole you know uh, military honors, loaded them up on the C one thirty, and listened to the families and friends talk about them. And it was a real gut check. Yes. Of um how fragile life is, but, yeah. you know, fast forward, um, yeah, dealt with many multiple vehicle accidents, fatals, motorcycle accident fatals, yeah. you know, even as a young kid, like going to calls with my father, seeing fatals, and yeah, yeah. I was stupid. I used to ride my bike, young and dumb, try to beat the fire trucks to the call, and, yeah. you know, I hear, oh, NBA, you know, real bad, I try to get there, I get there before the fire trucks, and people are, like, trapped. Yeah, yeah. A couple times, it was a fatal, I remember sitting there, standing there, I'm like, gonna stand back like yeah. it doesn't look good and I hadn't you know right couldn't react but yeah the moral of the story is I guess you know death you know it compounds over time it compounds compounds over time and then uh, I don't know if you guys know 2019 with the crash of Bradley uh, yeah. I was involved in that one again and you know after the first aviation accident you're like you get to a point where anything bad that can happen you realize can happen yeah. you know and then the second one went down, and not that I was surprised, because now I was like, wow, this again? Yeah. You know, and uh, it, that that one, you know, being literally active on the scene and putting fires out and being involved in there for multiple days at a time, uh, heavily involved, it, that, that was even more uh, of a uh, traumatic event. It really was, you know, uh, being so close to home. But... Yeah. Yeah. Um, overall, death teaches you that uh, life is fragile. Yeah. And you got to live in the moment. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you realize that uh, everything you have, all this stuff, really doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. It can yeah. literally be all taken away in a second. Yeah. 
you know, you really, you know, I've become like not attached to things yeah. anymore, you know, and, uh, so would you say you value more of like relationships that you totally a hundred and ten percent, you know, um, it, it builds a sense of love in your heart, like yeah. every moment, like just to love everybody because even like you guys, like, dude, we can walk out and I never talk to you guys again. Yeah. Right. You know, you, you don't know if something happened. You guys, yeah. me, yeah. you may never talk to someone again like that. Yeah. So I, I never want to leave on a bad note. Yeah. Um, you know, and just give as much love and pour into people as much as possible yeah. because it could be your, your last moments yeah. any given time. Yeah. And, and I, I think like that every single time I go to work. Yeah. Like it could That's be good. the day. It's funny because like those evolutions inside of a person don't happen overnight though. Mm. Like that that stuff takes time to like understand and to appreciate all these things like that. And like you said, it compounds over time. And not just death, but like every lesson life throws at you. And you've had some some life lessons thrown at you, right? Absolutely. And but you seem on the back end now to have developed a lot of strong habits, rituals, things that you do daily to get yourself in the mindset you mentioned at the start of this episode, right? Sure. How you love mindset. Absolutely. So that that journey, you know, everything we've talked about so far is a part of that journey. And then, you know, having having life throw more curveballs at you in the intermediate just strengthened all those habits and rituals that you have today. So what are some things now, everything we've talked about, a lot of trauma, a lot, right? What are some things, what are some habits and things that you've built over time to help you strengthen your mindset and deal with those traumas and, and kind of progress forward as an individual? So there's two parts here. You know, there, there's, uh, I guess, the I say the personal aspect and then there's the business aspect because I still have always had that entrepreneur mindset and growth mindset, but I've also had the personal growth mindset. And always developing and reading and learn about business. I've always been doing both personal business, personal and business, you know, kind of go hand in hand. Um, and over the years, yeah, I've, uh, I've done, I, I fell in love really with self improvement, really, oh, yeah. and, and doing a lot of reading. But overall, the number one thing is physical fitness, yeah. hands down. Yeah. Um, Speaking our language. Yeah. It, it, it literally replaces every, you know, drug out there, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and people don't realize that, you know, they, they get depressed or they get sad um, when you can go do a workout and get more dopamine than, than any, any, right. yeah. any yeah. drug over the counter yeah. will do, yeah. Yeah. you know, um, physical fitness has been huge. It, it literally has taken the edge off. There's days where, you know, not so much now I'm doing a lot better, but you have anxiety or panic attacks. Right. Um, probably three or four years ago, I turned to running. You know, I, I was having panic attacks. I couldn't sleep. I had high anxiety. I couldn't figure out why. And I literally turned to running. And um, what made you turn to running? Was it just because you maybe read somewhere that it could help clear your mind? It just kind of. So my wife at the time, she was running before me. She ran her first half. I saw her do one or two of those. And that kind of inspired me. I was trying to do something, you know, figure out something that her and I can do to kind of build a bond together. And um, going through that, you know, she had her own, you know, anxiety issues and that's helped her. And she's like, start running, start running. I'm like, man, I'm short and stocky. I am not a runner. (laughs) You know, I think the most I ran in the army was like five five miles at a time. But 
I just started doing it where like, I was so anxious I had to take that edge off. Yeah. And I started running five miles, six miles. And I remember one day <clears throat> I said to myself, um, if I can run to the gym, the gym was just about 10 miles. If I can do that, I can do anything. Yeah. And uh, my grandfather, who Tim tattooed on me, this is his world two pitcher, he was a runner. My grandfather, he ran the Boston Marathon, New York Marathon. The guy almost ran to the day he died. Yeah, and awesome. so I'm like, you know what? Let me try this out. And so I ran the 10 miles to the gym. I'm like, man, I want to see if I could do a half. So I ran a half and I kind of got addicted. Yeah. And then like, I think it was over a two, three year span. I did nine half marathons. Mm. Wow. And literally through that process, it helped me take the edge off. It made me um, get that runner's high. Yeah, That's a real totally. thing. I felt yeah. the runner's high. Uh, it was a different kind of physical fitness. And I, I really enjoyed doing the races and events and being around those people because it really yeah. is really positive. Yeah. Motivating too. Yeah. You know, cool. but yeah, so that, that physical fitness hands down is the best mm. thing. I always tell people, if you're depressed, just start moving. Go right. do something. There's no excuse. I don't care if you have to walk or even crawl telephone to telephone pole. Like, yeah. just go do something, yeah. you know, um, that you have to take that action. But, right. um, yeah, you know, that was that. And then literally, I would say the last two or three years has probably been the hardest, most challenging times of my life yeah. uh, at, at all levels. Um just it's crazy a lot of unexpected things happening there's a kind of like a snowball effect um and that has really been challenging so with my personal development and reading and my business experiences um i've learned to kind of come up with my own systems and processes to get through things and so i've kind of been uh you know especially the last two years working on you know kind of like what works and kind of uh i've had business coaches i've taken you know um, all kinds of mentors um that helped me kind of process things and learn different things and change your perspective on things and i would say um you know the biggest thing over the last two years is really learning to have emotional control mm. You know, emotional control is something that we don't talk about enough, but it's, you know, back to the mindset, you know, the mind is a muscle, just yeah. like any other muscle. Yeah. And most likely a lot of people don't exercise that mindset like yeah. they would anything else. And emotional control has, is one of those things where um, it takes a lot of practice. You got to incorporate a lot of different habits. Um, and, you know, I uh, kind of nailed down my personal life and my business life and kind of prioritized a lot of things of what works for me. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, during probably the hardest time over the last two years, and I, I say when, when you hit rock bottom with literally multiple things going on at once, you just, you question everything, oh, yeah. you know, and uh, I've always been uh, a believer of God. I've been a, you know, a godly man. I grew up Catholic, but never really into the church, mm -hmm. you know. And then um, before COVID, I found a new church, was starting to get the hang of it. COVID ca came, kind of took me out of the picture. But through these kind of uh, downfalls of life here, I literally just started 
turning to God. Yeah. And I, I will say um, that's been a game changer for me. Yeah. And not really, I just started going to church by myself yeah. and not knowing really what to expect or really what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kept going and going and going because that's really all I had. Mm-hmm. And slowly by slowly started feeling um, feeling different, almost numb to uh, the reactions of, you know, the situations you go through. Let it be your children getting sick and being in the hospital to, you know, work-related things or relationship things. You just become numb. And that was that emotional part. Yeah, yeah. It started really, really strengthening my emotional muscles. And um, there was a point where I said, you know what? What is different now with me a believing, being a believer versus my last 20-something years? Right, yeah. And it, I said, you know what? I never really put God first. Mm-hmm, yeah. I never have. And so I made a decision and I got baptized. And yeah. you know, being baptized when it's your choice, not like when you're a kid and your parents yeah. baptize you, is completely different as you raising your hands and I want to baptize myself at my age. Mm-hmm, yeah. That's showing God that you're committing to him. Um, I made a decision that I'm going to put God first in literally everything I do. Mm-hmm. He's going to be first. And from that day where I got baptized, and I promise, like, every morning I wake up, part of my morning routine is, is I read the Word, you know, mm-hmm. in some way or form. Maybe five, yeah. ten minutes, I, I read the Word. And um, that has been literally the hinge factor mm-hmm. that's been so, changing everything. So I also, I actually pray every morning with my boys. And then, like, at night I would say, like, a prayer as well. And I find it helps me because I feel like, someone is guiding me, right? Like I'm never in this world alone, no matter what is I'm experiencing, challenge or good thing in my life, I know something's kind of watching over me. Yeah. Is that kind of like why you turn to God? Because you, you were going through a lot of adversity with, you know, you, you told us about your kids and the health issues mm. um, and then things in your personal life and you just kind of needed someone to kind of almost like have your back. I really didn't know what to expect. Yeah. You know, I started going and um, there was just so much tension on my chest yeah. where I went there and uh, he gave me hope. You know, it gave me hope. It gave me a sense of relief. Mm-hmm. It gave me a sense that he is there, that he is the answer. And um, I started reading the Bible. And I started reading the Bible and hearing these stories of, and then you know, putting uh, these verses together, it, it totally made sense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once I started doing that, everything started changing. Yeah. It, and it's really weird. Like your perspective? Yeah, my perspective, yeah. my priorities in life, um, you know, and the, along with obviously m- me and my business, because that's the other thing, now I'm in real estate. I've been in real estate too and trying to build my own real estate business. Um, I always take business principles and, and, and life principles and apply them for, together. But I kind of created a model, which and I'm still working on develop, that has really kind of solidified in a um, kind of a, a filter, a thought process and filter that no matter what you're going through in life, you can kind of look at through you know your self-awareness check to see where you're at and, and and kind of put your life in perspective and it's helped me a lot yeah cool. you know and 
the number one thing is, is having belief, you know, yeah. and people who are non-believers, but like, you just got to, you know, you can be a spiritual person. You can a godly person. You just got to have belief that there's a higher power because that's, that's the changing point. And most people don't understand that. Mm. But when you start believing that and then trusting in that higher power, dude, opportunities come like, yeah, it, it's cool. Right. So, you, it, you know, you, you seem to systematize your life both professionally and personally. I do. You found mentors. Yep. You found a, you know, faith-based um church yep. right in church that that has helped you with with multiple things right and that's your anchor in your life yeah that's that's how you that's how you settle yourself every single day it's how you start your day and finish your day with, with those things throughout your day right that's your those are your habits those are your rituals that's what you lean on and that the constantly having that in your life every day that leads to progress that leads to success yeah so I'll quickly get into it, and someday maybe we can do another episode and I can get more deep dive into it. So I call it the 5 and 15 uh, model. It's five levels, and there's 15 principles uh, all together. And these principles are um, purposely in order according to, like, uh, priority of how you should prioritize your things in life. And when you do that, it naturally harmonizes with, I say, God source creator it really does and it really um kind of helps you make decisions of where you got to work and so level one which is which is the baseline is called beliefs and the first principle is to have faith spirituality believe in god believe mm -hmm. in the higher power and at the end of the day you gotta believe yeah. i mean it, it just i mean you know i look at my kids and be like you know birth is amazing when you have your kids you're just like how do you describe that right. you know you, you really can't or someone who's like oh i'm not a believer then all right explain gravity yeah you can't yeah, right. there's a higher power there yeah. and uh i think you know now my purpose in life is to really um align with god and his word and live more like him every single day mm -hmm. and i find that through the word um everything comes back to that Everything comes back to faith and belief. Um, so it's always God, faith, spirituality, number one in your life. And you've got to, you've got to do it every day. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Number two is mindset. You've got to work on your mindset. Oh, yeah. And that, that could be a semester course itself. Mm -hmm. And someday we should do a podcast, and I can go really deep on that. Yeah. Um, but after mindset, it's perspective. Principle is perspective. Because everyone's perspective is really different, yep. you know. Um, yeah. And so that's not level one. That's baseline priority in your life. You've got to work on your faith, mindset, perspective. Number one. Number two, which is level two, is your health, yeah. and that goes to physical, which is number four. Your mental health is number five, and then your emotional health is number six. Yeah, yeah. And it's exactly in that order because you're physically working out. It helps you mentally, Absolutely. which then makes you emotionally make better decision, decisions in the hard times. Absolutely. Level three is your relationships. Yeah. Um, and so it goes family, and then your personal relationships, and then your professional relationships. Exactly in that order, and that's how you should prioritize things. Level four goes into your career, which is professional development. Uh, number 11 is your life mission, and then number 12 is your business, that right. career of business, what you're developing. And then level five is, not but at least, is finances, money. 
Yeah. Now think about that. Finances is last. How many people always prioritize money and finances? Right. Number one, number yeah. two, at a different order. Yeah. So finances, you know, number 13 is personal finances. Uh, 14 is business finances. And last but not least is 15th principle. Principle is your legacy and, and generational wealth. You know, awesome. so these 15 principles, no matter where you're at in life, you got to start at the bottom and work your way up. If you're having trouble in any of these areas of life, it's because the levels below are weak and you're not prioritizing those so first. It's like building harmony. Yes, it really yeah. does. It yeah. harmonizes yeah. everything. Yeah. So like if you look at like, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm having challenges with, uh, you know, your physical health. Well, guess what? You probably have a bad mindset. Right. Yeah. Or you have a bad perspective. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, people can, you know, when they get sick, oh, I have a disease, I have everything else. What do they do? Well, they go pray to God. Well, are you, have you been praying to God? Or are you praying to God now because you are sick? Right. Maybe you should yeah. pray towards number one and you won't get sick. Yeah. You know, um, and sa same thing, you know, with money, you know, finances, I, I, I say is last because w when you, have your health and strong relationships and a strong career the money follows yeah the money follows yeah so yeah i, I you know this is kind of a filter i work on and yeah, yeah. it's helped me a lot and uh you know eventually i want to kind of clean this up and get it a little more um more detailed and then yeah. um somehow pour back into men myself i want to yeah. get into kind of create some kind of community Right now, with me being in the real estate, I do commercial real estate, and I do a lot of finances. Another passion of mine, being the entrepreneur and kind of, you know, financially, I'm not say suffering, but being, you know, having that scarcity mindset at such a young age has made me passionate about finances, right. personal wealth, and, um, you know, really just creating avenues to have endless opportunity um, but not for yourself, but to, to give to others. Right. You know, back to the faith. People are like, oh, you just want money to to do different things for yourself. No, the only reason I want more money is so I can give more. Right. Life's about. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and right down to this building. You know, you know, I built this building thinking that I'm here to build cars. But you know, look at this. Now we're having a conversation here. Right. Uh, you know talk about life and hopefully helping some other people out there, you yeah, know? Yeah. So like God created this opportunity for a reason. And I feel there's a lot more to come. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I feel now that I'm over 40 and my twenties are gone and thirties are gone. I'm in a different phase of life and yeah. it's to pour back in and to give and to serve God. And I think God who, who, who lives in me, it's my duty to, uh, you know, have him live through me by serving others. And, yeah. I've uh, I've been doing that my whole life, public service, emergency services, and you know, a couple of years I'll be able to retire, and I just want to you know transform to a different uh, a different way of giving my yeah. time and my knowledge, and that's hopefully by financially helping people with real estate, build wealth, but also supporting men and building men to have the right mindset, so we can actually have uh, strong men, which will ultimately turn to strong kids, which can change our generations to come you know and you and it's funny too because we share same mentor he, he talks about service to others he talks about um, mindset and that's ed Milet. yes and you were fortunate enough to actually see ed Milet speak what I was have. that like you know it, it it was great you know he's um he's a beast 
<laughs> you know, yeah. what I do like about Ed, too, he's from New England. He's originally from Boston, too. Yeah. So yeah. it's really cool. But, uh, about an island in Maine. So yeah, I, I yeah. saw that, you wow. know. Yeah. He, you know, but him, Andy Frisella, I'm sure you guys know him. Yeah. All those guys, they've been a, a great um, mentor to me. I, I've done 75 hard. I, I love that program. But um, it's, you know, being there, there's nothing like it. Yeah. You know, energy. Oh, it's unbelievable. I, I absolutely love going to seminars or masterminds, meetups. I spend a lot of money on, my, on myself. People always ask, hey, if I had five grand or ten grand, what should I invest in? What should I get into? I'm like, dude, put in yourself. Yeah. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Good point, man. You need to, you point, need yeah. to put your money into yourself. You know, um, and that's what I've been doing. Yeah. I, I've literally spent tens of tens of thousands of dollars on my education just to be around like-minded people. Yeah. And uh, you know, in January when I went there, my mentor coach, I had a business coach for two years. His name is Ken Jocelyn, and he's out there. Check him out. He's a great, great guy. And he told me, he says, Howie, you need to get in rooms with people who think bigger than you. Right. I'm yeah. like, what? He goes, that's, that's like the cheat code. Yeah. Get in rooms with people who think bigger than you. Yeah. I'm like, wow. So that's exactly what I do. Yeah. And I've been doing, and literally that's made the world a difference. Yeah. Every single thing I go to, let it be real estate, investing conferences, uh, entrepreneur stuff, um, it's always the relationships that come out of that. Yeah. And when you're in environments like the Ed Milet and uh, there's some really great speakers there, I learned so much, but you're around all these like-minded people like we are that you exchange contacts, become friends, and your network grows. Yeah. And when you're around these like-minded people, obviously your temperature rises, meaning your mindset rises, Yep. And you're going to be a better person from that. And yeah. it just keeps going up and up and up from that. Yeah. As you improve, the opportunities in your life improve, your, your life, you know, everything improves. Yeah. And you learn, you get better, you fine tune. Like, you know, it, it's fascinating. Like, e even being at that conference, uh, there was someone who spoke on water. And, uh, you know, and they talked about how, 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 you know, water is such a game changer in life and how, no offense with the Costco water, but I no longer drink that because uh, it's all filtered water, mm. you know, where it's taking filters, taking all the minerals out of that, you know. And so when you're not getting the minerals you want, you become mineral deficient, which then leads to diseases and all kinds of issues, mm. you know. So we had someone speak on water. You learn all these different things. Yeah, yeah. And I literally, I come back and I start, you know, implementing my life. I apply yeah. them and... You know, now I got a filter system in my house that has like a six-stage filter reverse osmosis thing, where now I'm like actually um, drinking like I say I call it magic water to my kids, mm -hmm. and it really changes you because it ultimately it energizes your cells, mm -hmm. which then obviously makes you have better health, but gives you more energy. It carries over to all the other areas of your life. Yeah, yeah. simple things like that. So yeah. stuff like that is uh, invaluable, dude. Invaluable yeah. in so many ways. That's awesome. Yeah. So anytime you want to go to a conference or do yeah, something, I'm down. Sure. Yeah. Um, same thing, you know. If anyone out there wants to get involved and connect, let me know because. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of that, that, yeah. Speaking of that, where can where can everyone find you? So, real simple. Uh, I go by Howie underscore Coro on Instagram. I'm on Instagram probably the most. Yep. I am on Facebook. I do have a uh, a real estate business page on Facebook as well. Um, I do have a YouTube channel, 
I haven't made a video in a couple of years, but I do have a YouTube channel. I do plan on, you know, getting back into that, doing more videos. Now that I have this space, I kind of want to create a little corner where yeah. I can kind of, yeah, sure. you know, set a little area up. But I feel now, you know, it's my duty based on what I learn is to put it back out there. You know, you always become a good learner by teaching, yeah. you know. So I think it's important to kind of learn and then you learn it good enough to teach others and help others. And it kind of goes hand in hand of connecting with people and, you know, developing, yeah. you know. Yeah. Awesome. This is a fun conversation. Absolutely, man. Yeah, yeah. it was good. It's, yeah. Like you said, like-minded people. These conversations can happen. Drop of the hat. Yeah. Any time of the day, time of night. You know what I mean. So thank you for donating some of your time to us. Yeah. We appreciate it. Thank you. Always love doing this again. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Anytime we can. Uh, anytime you guys want to deep dive into one of these uh, principles. Yeah. We'll do a little whiteboard action and uh, hopefully uh, you know get some value from it. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Man. All right. Yeah. Thank you.